Welcome to the Wellspring Church Podcast. We're an international church family who wants to see Jesus' love transform communities. This recording is a sermon from our Sunday service and will take you deeper into the Bible in a real and relevant way. Good morning, church. It's such a pleasure to be here and to see all of you and uh, to be in God's presence. I just want to share briefly about the work of One People Commission, uh, as Tim has mentioned. One People Commission is a network initiative that brings together different church leaders, different churches across the UK. The best way to describe it, actually, is it's a multi-ethnic network on a national scale. You know, we're kind of like your church here, as a local church where it's multi-ethnic, very mixed. But this is on a national uh, scale, working with different leaders. So I get the privilege of working with uh, leaders from the black majority church that is African and African-Caribbean, uh, also Latin American spaces and South Asian spaces. So it's very, very exciting. It started in 2010, I mean 2012, but the story is that there was a challenge issued at the EA uh, in terms of just thinking of the breadth of British Christianity and the need for EA to represent that in its ethnic and cultural diversity. So consultation started after that between 2010 and 12, and that led to the start of One People Commission with sort of three vision, really. Uh, you know, one people, the idea of God's people being one. At the end of the day, God created one human race. So... So that, that is the premise. And then speaking with one voice that is advocating on various issues and then engaging in one mission, the Great Commission. Now, since I've started, my vision centers around these three keywords, uh, you know, which, the next slide, which is around, actually about unity, integration, and justice. And that is happening at a national level as well as a local level and in different spaces uh, in that sense. And also, uh, you know, in the sense of, because if you think about it, there are different organizations nationally that are working, whether it's a Chinese church or a Chinese network, or whether it's, uh, it's a Latin American organization. But how do they work together? How do they get to know each other? And I think we provide that space where people can do that, but also at the local level, helping churches to connect in that sense, locally, to develop a multi-ethnic church. Now, your church is fantastic that you're very mixed, but actually there are some other places that it's not like that. How do you help pastors and leaders to do that? We do that, and then it's also around justice. How we speak into racial justice, how we speak into climate issues, and various other things. The next slide. Uh, so, but it's a network, and we, we value relationship. So relationship is very key. Whole life discipleship is very important, and prayer mobilization is also very, very key. And then developing of new generation of leaders or equipping and mentoring is also very key to what we do. The next slide, please. So this is just putting it into a different framework. At the heart is those relationships, but those other areas is inter intersecting and interacting with each other in that sense. Next slide. But... Many times people would think the work of One People Commission is just that network, that external aspect. But there is an internal dynamics to that within EA itself, because EA occupies a significant space in the UK, uh, all across the nations. And so it's making sure that as we encourage and tell people to be multi-ethnic, 
that we ourselves, we continue to embed that in our staff, in our council, uh, in our board, and etc. So that is the work of One People Commission. Uh, if you are interested, uh, please see me after the service for more details. But thank you very much. That's great. Fantastic. And Dan says, uh, if you do want to join the Evangelical Alliance, it's only £3 a month, uh, either for individuals or couples. And there's a book um, that Israel has written, uh, Discipleship, Suffering and Racial Justice, Mission in a Pandemic World. Uh, if you'd like to pick that up, that's down, available uh, downstairs. You want to take that? Okay, now we are in for a treat, and as part of our Authentic Relationship series, we recognize that we have so much to learn about what it means to truly be uh, authentic before God and in how we relate to one another. And, and this requires and invites us to be open to the Lord changing things in our hearts and changing things in our lives. This is not comfortable. Like John Andrew said a couple of weeks ago, this is going to be uncomfortable. But in that process of God doing work in us, there are great things to come, including what God's going to do in this room and in our hearts today in this space if we let him. So, so we pray, not so much for Israel, because I know he's got a great word. I've heard it already. God's going to challenge us. But I'm going to pray for us that we might actually receive and then have activated in our hearts and our relationships what God really wants to do. Is anyone up for that? Okay, so let's pray. Holy Spirit, Lord, here in this room and at home, we ask for you to be so present in the preaching of your word, Lord, that we would be changed. Change us, Lord. Meet us in the place where we are right now. But Lord, would you move us forward in our journey with you? Would you bless Israel? Thank you for his work. Thank you for the work of One People Commission. What a great ministry. What a great work. Lord, would you protect Israel as he's at the cusp, at the cutting edge of some painful and challenging areas, Lord? Give him strength. Give him resolve. Protect his family, his young family. Lord, be with him. We also pray today that you would speak through him to us and give us ears to hear and respond. And we all say this together in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Bless you. Thank you very much, team. So I've been told you've been looking at authentic relationships. But what I want to zoom in through that to this morning is looking at discipleship, purpose, and pain. And the reason why I want to do that will become obvious as we look at the story. We're looking at Genesis chapter 37, uh, which is where the story of Joseph starts from. I'm not going to read it because it's a long chapter. I'm going to let you read it when you get home. But I'm just going to read towards the end when Joseph was reflecting. He said something in Genesis chapter 50 verse 20 to his brothers and as he was thinking of his legacy. Genesis 50, 20. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done the saving of many lives. So here was Joseph reflecting almost after 40 years of going through pain, suffering, and different things in his life. Said, you intend. That is, his brothers have a particular plan for Joseph, but God had a plan. But what is interesting is this. The plan that Joseph's brothers have for him and the plan that God had for him intersected at some point. And what I meant by that is this. 
they wanted to kill Joseph. They wanted to annihilate him as it is. But God delivered him from his brothers. And somehow, they sold him to Egypt. Now, the thing is this. If Joseph wasn't in Egypt, there would be no Jesus today. What do I mean by that? There was going to be a terrible famine, kind of like the pandemic we've had. There was going to be a terrible famine that was going to happen. And God knew that that was going to impact the whole world at that particular time. For the children of Israel, at this time they were not a nation, for the community of Israel to be preserved, there was the need for a deliverer to be sent ahead to do that. And so Joseph strategically had to be in Egypt. But the only way to get her was true is dysfunctional family. And so God sent Joseph to Egypt as a reluctant missionary, <laughs> as a reluctant servant. He, I mean, Joseph would have never thought of going to Egypt at this particular time because he was comfortable. Joseph was living in comfort. He was his dad's favorite. If you read the story in Genesis chapter 7, it was his dad's favorite. Because in their family, you know, they had an interesting family. Uh, you know, there are four women, four wives, and then they had 12 sons. There are daughters, by the way. There's Dana, and there are other daughters that were not mentioned by scripture. But this is a large family. But what is interesting as the story starts is that one, we need to understand why Joseph, I mean, Jacob favors Joseph. Why does he love him so much? I was saying in the first service that basically it was because, because of the mom. Jacob loved Rachel. Rachel was his first wife, his first heart, really, the darling of his heart. But because of customs in those days, you do not, your first daughter should not marry. I mean, your second daughter should not marry before your first daughter. So Laban, the uncle, what did he do? He tricked Joseph. I mean, he tricked Jacob. And then Jacob ended marrying Leah first. And then later realizing, that's not the woman I want. That's not the woman I labored for. Can you imagine laboring seven years to marry someone? And then you realize it wasn't the woman you wanted. And then later, he married Rachel. And then, of course, two other women came along, the servants. So he was born into what you can describe as a polygamous family, a very dysfunctional family. I know one or two about polygamous family because my mom was born into a polygamous family. My mom's dad had about seven wives and lots of children. My dad has two wives. My dad's brother has three wives. One of the other brothers has about six wives. So the thing is this. I know it's shocking because this is the Western mind, isn't it? <laughs> to an African mind, it's not shocking. Because it's part of the culture. It's part of the landscape. In fact, when missionaries went to Africa, they didn't know what to do about polygamy. So when they asked people to convert, one of the things they would say is, okay, now that you're a Christian, just take one wife, leave the other women. But what that did was actually that caused a lot of pain. Because in those days, men were the backbone of society. And so a man having more than one wife, one, is a display of wealth, but two, it's also the welfare system. Because you are able to cater for as many people as possible. 
So when missionaries say, take one woman, leave the others, it was actually creating more fragmentation and dislocation. I could do a lot of preaching now, but that's not what I'm preaching. That's just the side effect of the preaching in that sense. But it was born into a polygamous family. Is that loved him best. And so Joseph found himself in a relationship where he was loved by the dad. He was comfortable, you could say. To the extent that even he would play pranks on his brother, he would tell the dad about some of the things they've done that were not right, you know, he would report on them, and that means they even hated him even more. Already, it was, uh, it was his favorite of the dad, so that already caused trouble, as you can imagine. Now, reporting on the brothers caused even more trouble, and then to add insult to injury, this boy started having dreams. And instead of keeping it to himself, remember Joseph was very young. He was only 17 at this time. He was very young. So instead of keeping this to himself, he started sharing. But what is interesting is this. Joseph at this stage didn't know how to interpret dreams. Other people understood his dreams. So when he told his dreams, the one he had twice, his brothers immediately understood what he was saying. The dad understood what he was saying. Joseph didn't understand what he was saying at this particular time. Later, he was able to interpret dreams, but at this time, he was growing in God's gift. What are the giftings that God has given to you? Are you growing in them? Are you, are you growing in those giftings? God has given each and every one of us a gift yes. or gifts. My gift will be different from Tim. Tim's gift will be different from David. But we have to discover it, develop it, and deploy it. We have to go through those three stages of discovering our gift in Christ, developing it, and deploying it. So Joseph found himself in those kind of places where he was just beginning to discover his gift or his giftings in that sense. So he couldn't, but his brothers understood his dream. He was in a place of comfort. But that comfort was about to be disrupted because of God's plan, but also because of his dysfunctional family around him in that sense. Perhaps you think you are in a dysfunctional family, or you think something is not right with your family. My heart is for restoration. My heart is for healing. But also, could it be possible that God has put you in that family for a reason? Could it be that God has put you in that family for a reason? Maybe you are the ambassador of reconciliation in your family. Because Paul says we have the ministry of reconciliation. Maybe you are the ambassador of reconciliation. Maybe you are the peace and the bridge maker in your family. Maybe it is you that God will use. And when I'm speaking about family, it's applicable to our biological family but even our church family as well in that sense. So Joseph was disrupted his life because suddenly he found himself in the pit because his brother felt, we've had enough. Our dad loves this boy so much. Now he's telling us he's going to be ruling over us through his dreams. We need to get rid of him quite quickly. And so when he went to look out for them, they started scheming and said, you know what, we're going to kill him. They wanted to kill him. But as I said, if they kill him, that would have stopped Jesus emerging. 
because the whole nation of Israel wouldn't have been preserved. So God needed Joseph alive. So what did God do? God used Judah in a strange way. Judah said something which I'm sure he wasn't thinking had implication. He said, let's make money out of this situation. Instead of killing him, let's sell him. So Joseph was trafficked. But that saved his life. But God still used it. It's weird, isn't it? Very strange and messed up. But God did still use it. So Joseph was trafficked in today's context. That's a lot of pain. When you think of people trafficking. When you think of slavery. When you think of some of the things that are still going on in our world. This is sad. In so many respects. On so many levels. But nevertheless, Joseph found himself in Egypt. And so the first thing is this. Do you find yourself in the pit? Because Joseph was put in the pit, and then later he was sold. Are you in that pit season? And the pit season is where you go from comfort to discomfort. That is the first stage. It's kind of a reality check where almost God is trying to teach you some things. He's trying to help you to understand that there is pain in purpose. And that was kind of like the first lesson for Joseph to begin to learn because Joseph was full of himself. He was in a place of comfort. I'm loved by my dad more than my other brothers. I am the beloved. And then suddenly in the pit. I wonder what he was thinking at that stage. Why am I in the pit? What have I done wrong? A state of confusion. And being in the pit is no funny thing. I've been in the pit before. I remember one of my friends in Nigeria was chasing me. And it was very dark, and I was running, and there was this uh, pit that was just being dug in the back of someone's house, and I fell in with water. It's not a good experience. I emerged traumatized. So being in the pit is painful. It's very painful. It's not easy. But it's part of that starting process of being a disciple. As God begins to move us towards his purposes, but things was about to get worse from Pete to Potiphar's house. And Joseph might have thought, now I can relax a little bit because God was with him. The Bible says in Potiphar's house, everything he did, God prospered. Everything he laid his hands on was fantastic. And things were going well. And so he found himself again in a little bit of more comfort. And I think this is the wisdom of God. God knows that there are certain temptations that we go through. If it is beyond our strength, it helps us to bear with it. So God releases things to us in certain measures. He knows our capacity. So a little dose of comfort for Joseph in Potiphar's house. But if the pit's experience was about learning discomfort, Potiphar's house experience is actually about roots, taking roots. What do I mean by that? Here was temptation facing Joseph. The wife of the master's house fancied Joseph. Because the Bible described Joseph as a handsome man. He was very handsome. So this woman fancied him, perhaps because she was being neglected by her husband. Here is a young man. Now, here's the thing. Joseph could have taken a shortcut. Because no one would know. That's the whole point. No one would know. That Joseph was having an affair with the, master's, you know, with the master's wife. No one would know that. It would just be a secret between Joseph and Potiphar's wife. But 
Joseph realized that there is a God in heaven who sees beyond human eyes. And so Potiphar's house is about integrity. It's about character. It's about building us to be people of integrity, to be people of character. Even when no one is watching, what are the things that we are doing? Very important. From discomfort to taking roots. Because this is about taking roots in God. The Bible says somewhere else that for the children of Israel, the nation of Israel, in order for them to grow upward, they have to take roots down. How is your roots? How is your foundation? Are they easily shaken by temptation? Or can you stand firm even in times of crisis, in times of temptation? Can you stand? Joseph stood the test of time. And what happened? He fell out of favor quite quickly. And here's the thing. If human beings promote you, they can easily demote you. If God promotes you, no one can demote you. And so there are times we are seeking favor from human beings. Don't do that. Let God promote you. Because if you promote yourself or if people promote you without God, they can easily take it back. So Joseph found himself from Potiphar's house to prison. There's a piece to this. Pit, Potiphar's house, prison. He found himself in prison. And again, the Bible says God was with him. Because he quickly rose to become a warden in the prison, looking after other prisoners. Consistency. And the question is this. In our journey of following Jesus, in our journey of discipleship, do you only follow God when things are easy? Or do you follow when things are uncomfortable? Do you keep following when everything around you is not working for you? If there is anything the pandemic has taught us, is that there is discomfort in this world. That everything at times doesn't go to plan. Everybody had great plan before the pandemic, and everything was thrown out. How is our following God? Is it premised on God doing things? What happens if God doesn't do things? Do we still keep following? That's the challenge. Joseph kept going. He must have been discouraged, but he kept going. But the prison experience, again, was another aspect of his training, another aspect of his discipleship. And this is actually about interpreting other people's dreams. Remember before, he couldn't even understand his own dream, let alone interpreting it. Now Joseph was in prison. He's interpreting dreams. Now that's a new dimension. That's a new level in the spirit, totally. Totally different. He was able to interpret dreams. And so the thing is this. The prison stage, at times, actually is about interpreting other people's dreams before your own dreams get fulfilled. Oftentimes, we want our own dreams to be fulfilled. But at times, God wants us to be selfless to help other people to fulfill their dreams. And Joseph's dream was not fulfilled until he helped other people fulfill their dreams. That's why God put him in the prison in the first place. But the prison was also the path to becoming the prime minister in Egypt. It's interesting how everything was connected from the pit to Potiphar's house to prison to being a prime minister. I said there is a P to this message. The four P's of Joseph's life. So how are we helping other people to interpret God's dreams? The vision that God has given to them. Very, very important. 
And then the last stage, being the prime minister in Egypt. That is about restoration. It's not about the position. Joseph could have thought, I have now arrived. I'm now the prime minister in Egypt. Folks, take pictures, take a selfie. But Joseph didn't do that. When he saw his brothers, he recognized them. And he wept. Why? Because here's a man that God has broken. Here is a man that is seen with God's eyes, not with his own eyes. That's why I was able to say, you meant evil, but God meant it for good. Joseph could have engaged in, retribu you know, in retributive justice, revenge. But he went on a restorative justice. God restored his family. God restored Joseph. Why? Because there was a bigger purpose. The bigger purpose is to save the community of Israel so that the Messiah can come through them. Where are you on this journey? Are you in the pit? Or are you in Potiphar's house? Or are you in the prison? Or are you a prime minister? Where are you on this journey? And what is God saying to you? What could God be challenging you about? About your family, your church family, wider family. What could God be saying? As I said, could God have put you there for a reason? There's a reason sometimes to the pain that we go through. Of course, we have to discern. Because there are times the enemy wants us to be in unimaginable pain. And we have to pray that God protects us from such and help us to go on. But there are times that actually God uses those pain to mold us, to shape us, and to make us to be the vessels that God wants us to be today. Very, very important that we learn that. And I think Joseph's life explicates that for us. Joseph's life tells that story quite so powerfully in a way that our discipleship, it lays a path for our discipleship. I mean, 13 years. He became prime minister at the age of 30. He started having that dream, 17, 13 years of waiting, of processing, of pruning, of God taking things out and putting things in so that he can end up saying what he said in Genesis 15, 20 and see the bigger picture. Church, it is my prayer that whether you are feeling you are in the pit, a place of discomfort, or whether you are in a Potiphar's house where God is helping you to take roots deep down, or whether you are in prison where you are interpreting other people's dreams and God is preparing you for that next level, or you are in a place where you feel like a prime minister, you have arrived, but God is saying, actually, it's about restoration, and it's about the bigger picture. Whatever season you find yourself, it is my prayer that you'll be faithful and that God will encourage you. Let us worship as we respond to what God has said. If the worship team can come back as we begin to close and pray. People like to stand up and just begin to pray. And as we discern, ask God, where are you in the four Ps? Where do you find yourself? Has God disrupted your comfort and you're asking questions about life itself? 
is God trying to deepen your roots? And you are faced with trials and temptation that is making you to look around and distracted. Are you distracted? I feel there are some people here, God is saying you are distracted. You need to take roots deep down if I'm going to take you to that next level. Ask God to remove all those distractions. Ask God to help you overcome those distractions. Or are you in that next level where it feels like you are in prison at the moment and it looks like there is no way out? Prison of the mind. Let's pray that God will break through and release you from that prison. Are you in a place where God is asking you to be faithful to other people? To help them fulfill what God has called them to be? To serve? To serve other people? To help? On this journey or are you in that place where God is asking and saying restoration not revenge forgiveness maybe someone is here you're feeling bitter about something that someone has done to you God is asking you need to let go the thing is this when you are bitter you are in prison and so when you forgive someone you are setting yourself free as well Let's pray that God will help us. Amen. Precious Father, I just commit everyone here into your hands and just pray that let your spirit be released on yes. us now. Yes. Let your spirit fill us, Lord. Whichever place we find ourselves, Lord, whether people are waiting, I pray whatever they're waiting for, that Lord, you will do it in the name of Jesus. I pray for those who are in a place of discomfort, Lord, and confused. I pray for clarity in the name of Jesus. Lord, I pray for those who need to let go so that restoration, healing can take place. Father, I pray for the grace to be able to do so in the name of Jesus. I pray for those who feel imprisoned by circumstances or in their minds or whatever situation. I pray for freedom in the name of Jesus. Lord, I also pray for those who might be in a place where they are serving others. Help them to be able to help others to fulfill their God-given potential and dreams in the name of Jesus. Father, speak to us. Help us to discern this time that we are in. And let your name be glorified. We ask this in the precious name of Jesus. Let us Thank you for listening. We hope you've been blessed and encouraged by what you've heard. If you'd like to know more about Jesus, Wellspring Church, or how you can grow in others in faith, connect with us by clicking the link in the episode description or by joining us on Sundays at 9am and 11am in person and online.